Hey everybody, welcome to the uh, Juhu Roadshow podcast. Justin Hunt here hanging out with uh, a uh, very, very cool guy. I can't wait to tell you who uh, who I'm with today. Um, and we're going to talk about cars, we're going to talk about uh, NASCAR, we're going to talk about Tesla, we're going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, hang tight, Lance is going to lay some music down, we'll be right back with the Juhu Roadshow. Go for it, Lance. <laughs> All right, uh, we're back, and I, I, I'm very excited. I'm hanging out with Pierre Cutel. Is that how you say that? That's exactly right. I want to say it. I want to make sure and say it right. And this is this is uh, such a fascinating topic that we're going to be talking about. Now, you, you've kind of got two different things that we're going to discuss today. One was you worked NASCAR series stuff, right? That's right. And you were a crew chief. Or a car chief. Is there a difference between those two? Well, yeah, there's there's different levels there. So I was a car chief for a number of years and then was promoted to crew chief uh, with Carl Edwards uh, in a different series. Okay. And then went back to car chiefing um, before he left that series. So car chiefing is basically you are responsible for the car. Okay. In crew chiefing, you're responsible for the car and everybody and everything else. Okay, so it kind of goes from being a division supervisor to a project supervisor. Pretty much, yeah. And how long how long did you do that? So I, I started racing, moved to North Carolina in 1994, okay. and I actually started driving a truck. I had a CDL, and I was a transport driver for a while till I could get in the door uh, with some people, because I did fabricating and stuff like that, but driving the truck wasn't exactly what I was really wanting to do. Um, I, I loved to fabricate and loved to work on cars, but they are like, well, this is the only opening we got, and talked to a whole bunch of different teams it was a kind of a weird deal you know i lived yeah. in arizona and just packed everything up and moved out there and and uh, knocked <laughs> so on some so it's going and, to it's going to north carolina in this business like going to la yeah you, in the hollywood business yeah it's the area you have to okay. be there to do that because no one's going to hire you far away you know what is it about north carolina is it I think it's just where the roots started. You know, the moonshining and all the stuff was yeah. originally how stock car racing started. And those those guys were hopping their cars up to go <laughs> run moonshine. And then they just started racing from that. And yeah. so it was just the area. And so if you want to be in racing, uh, especially stock car racing, that's where you got to go. You want to be in Indy car racing, obviously Indy is the place you want to be. Right. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so you go out in 94. And, and I mean, had you always been interested in cars? No, it's kind of a funny deal. Uh, I had a friend, I used to live before that in Phoenix, Arizona. So a buddy of mine has shown me this cool article that they had some, I don't know, Porsche 930 up against some stock car or something. And mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, stock car, that's pretty cool. You know, you make a 3,500 pound taxi cab go around, uh, you know, a circle. That's, there's a lot of effort there. And yeah. people say, oh, it's boring watching those things go around in circles. But once you understand the car and how difficult that really is to do, it, um, it's pretty intriguing. So, okay, I'm going to divert just a second because I've never, like, I've never really gotten into NASCAR. I, I mean, I grew up in a, a, a environment of racing. I mean, that's that's one of the paintings that uh, Matt did about a film I did about horse racing. My family was in horse racing, um, and there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Oh. And so, with NASCAR, uh, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of tactic and philosophy and and um, obviously mechanics and all that stuff. I mean, what do people that don't watch that sport what are they what are they not understanding? What are they missing about it? I think they a lot of it is obviously like you said tactics, right? So there's a lot of pit strategy that goes in. You need mm-hmm. to you need to start the race and you need to finish the race. And uh, right. 
there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, parts break. There's, um, you know, you could run out of gas because there's no gas gauges in the car, right? So you just okay. figure out your mileage and and you hope that you're you're there's on. There's a your lot number. of science. Oh in yeah, it. there's a ton of science in it, especially in the last uh, ten or fifteen years. We brought a lot of engineers in and to just make everything science and. Huh. It's it's pretty interesting in the fact that you are taking something that's kind of like old school, old world, you know. Right. If you look at a stock car today and you were to flip it over, and I mean, it looks really no different than your 66 El Camino or or Chevelle or something like that. It has that type of of suspension. So NASCAR has done their homework in trying to keep it that way um, to be that stock car. We've kind of lost a little bit of that now that all the vehicles have gone to front-wheel drive and things like that but uh for the most part for a long time it was you know you actually had to have in the floor of the car a piece of of floorboard from a stock car that had to be welded into the into the frame rails and stuff really yeah it was like that so when you go home and you peel the carpet up on your car you're going to see that same floorboard so (laughs) there was a lot of a lot of that that went into it and it was that's what was neat about it was they took something that was fairly well stock at the time and then you actually just went out and raced them and then as it's progressed things have changed technologies come in they've made the car safer you know right you can't have you just you don't want people getting killed so yeah they've um, well i want to get into the science of all that um but i i took I, I took you off track with with north carolina but before we get back to that i want to i want to read one of our sponsors for you um you're going to love some of these man um uh, this one is, uh, we want to tell you, if you're ever in the Four Corners area of America, have you ever been Four Corners area? I have. Well, yeah, a, you're Phoenix guy. Yeah, yeah okay. it's wonderful. Um, if you're ever in the Four Corners area of, of America, you need to uh, contact Integrity Real Estate to buy or sell your home with Integrity. Your property is their priority. You can call them at 505-258-4921 or visit IntegrityRealEstateFarmington.com. So, okay, so you go out and you're driving, you got your CDL license, 94, you're out in North Carolina. What, what happened next? Well, it worked uh, a year and a half driving the truck, and they finally realized that what I was telling them the whole time was I can't actually work on these cars, and I finally got to move inside the shop, and they hired a truck driver. And so from that on, it kind of uh, it, it progressed into shock absorbers, started to become a, a really big uh, facet of racing, and so I kind of got into that section of it, and I built shocks for a number of years. Mm. And then uh, from that point... When I first started, crew chiefs pretty much did what a car chief does, and they they were kind of responsible for the car and the team and the whole nine yards. As it got older, or as it as it progressed, there was a lot of complexity that came into the sport. So they kind of saw the need for a car chief, somebody that's solely responsible for the car, and then the crew chief would be able to fix over the you know pit wall problems like somebody tire changers not doing their job or they they have to hire somebody they they would kind of go into crew chiefs became more administrative at that point where car chief was still part of the you know working on the car so so. because the cars were becoming so so much more advanced it was time to really dial in with one person taking care of the car and somebody else taking care of all the other shit exactly so i worked directly under the under the crew chief and um, took orders from him and and the crew chief and the driver would discuss what the car is doing, and then they would say, okay, we need to make these changes. And then it was my responsibility to orchestrate how those changes got done, uh, what people needed to do that. So we would have a crew of three or four guys that worked there at the racetrack, and, and certain people would change 
springs in the car on the corners or shock absorbers or so it's very strategic stuff yeah when you have um certain racetracks you would go with a basic setup so if you're running at a one mile track at let's say dover delaware we talked about that earlier high banked concrete track is a different setup than racing at charlotte which is a, a bigger mile and a half track uh pavement so you have different setups that you've learned mm. over the over the course of your career that you start with and then you would tune um as the as the weekend goes to try to find those hundredths and tenths and everything you can to make that car consistent and so you almost have like time. packages mm-hmm. like okay this is this is the the environment we're going to be in this week so this is the package that we need to try to implement and then you just start fine-tuning from there that's exactly right and hopefully you're close enough that you can fine-tune and you're not having to throw the kitchen sink at it (laughs) start over for the whole sunday morning and let's see how our day turns out type of thing but and i've been on both sides of that i mean there's times where you can't do anything wrong and the car is just an absolute rocket ship the whole weekend yeah and then there's times where you unload that thing and you're like, oh my God, did I bring the right car? You know, it's like, <laughs> so it's, it, 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 it could be super challenging. Yeah. So you, okay. So 94 to 96 ish, 95 ish, you're driving the truck. Then you start working on stuff. When, when did that start transferring into, I mean, was that when you started working on cars, that was the race cars right off the bat? Yeah. I, actually my parents owned a bicycle shop in phoenix so that's really my mechanical background was actually bicycles yeah and i I saw the racing i thought it was cool kind of you know pack my stuff up move to north carolina start knocking on doors and now had you gone to like mechanic school or anything like that you know actually uh there was a a uh, shop in phoenix that did trans am racing which was kind of like the scca road racing yeah and i started there sweeping floors and just working on stuff and so i mean it was a true starting from the bottom, working your wow. way up type of deal. Once I once um, I, I got some experience there, then I could go knock on those doors and say, right. hey, I've been doing this. You know, oh, there's a lot of traveling. It's like, yeah, I know, I've been traveling. When we did Trans Am, it was you were gone for three months at a time. And really? With cup racing, is pretty cool because you were gone just the weekend. So every, every Sunday night after the race is over, you fly home. Right. Monday, Tuesday, you work in the shop, and then you get it ready to go to the next next track so and and nascar is pretty nice because they have a schedule in the garage if it opens at seven and closes at five by god it opens at seven and it closes Closes at at five five, i don't care what you're doing you're run out of there so Hmm. where when i was doing road racing there was no (laughs) it would never shop never closed i mean it's like when you were on the road you you would stay at the racetrack just huge hours well it seems like it that's something that lends itself to you could like just perpetually be working on something nonstop. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You can just yeah keep working on it till it's uh, the prettiest pig you ever saw in your life, <laughs> you know, I, that type of deal. So, and when we were cup racing, um, it was very um, important that you had all your ducks in a row because you only had two hours of practice, or or like on a Saturday you'd have an hour, and then you'd have an hour and a half later on in the day. Mm. You had to have everything ironed out all the way down to your changes had to be. Uh, very efficient you know when that car yeah. comes in there and you've got to make a change you have to be on it to get that change done quickly so you can spend more time on the track than in the garage now when you say a change um again i'm, I'm speaking from a point of naivety so when you say a change are you talking about like a literal change like tires things like that or you, like what kind of stuff are you talking about no it's a literal change so if you the car's not turning right in the center of the corner and mm. you want to try a different rate of right front spring to make the car turn better in the corner you would 
come in, you would, they call it wind the spring out because the, there's jack bolts that basically hold the springs in. You wind them out and you yeah. swap a spring, put the other one in and you go back out. And, um, there's that time, the quicker that you can do that, the more time you spend on the racetrack, the more you've learned. So hopefully the faster you get, that's, it's, wow, that's fascinating, yeah, you spend man. spend all that time in the garage trying to make things as quick as possible so crew chiefs and the drivers have the most amount of time on the racetrack so they can make the best decision come Sunday. Yeah. You know, that, that brings to mind an analogy I want to run by you, and, and we'll talk about that. But you, I got to tell you about Apex Tactical Resources first, okay? All right. Um, Apex Tactical Resources is your source for firearms, tactical hunting, and survival gear. Now, whether you're heading out into the mountains on a solo camping trip to sharpen your skills, or you're planning on bugging out of the city when shit hits the fan, you need to live the tactical life at apextacticalresources.com. So, um... Now I'm a I'm a big golf guy. I like to golf. I like I actually enjoy watching golf. Which to some people, uh, to, watching golf to some people is like watching NASCAR to other people. They <laughs> do, they just don't get it. But when you get it, you love it. Yeah. I think what a lot of people don't understand about golf, especially professional golfers, is their course management, and you know even how they want to hit particular shots to leave themselves in positions for the second shot or for their approach shot. I mean, there's so much strategy that goes into it. And listening to you talk about these changes, I mean, it sounds like that's kind of the, it's the same thing. It's not, you're not just getting in a car and driving in circles and see who can drive faster. Yeah, I mean, there's some really minute modifications that you guys are making to, to make the car run better in per particular situations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on all that, and then you talk about the strategy part of it, you even go to a racetrack like Atlanta Motor Speedway, let's say, and there's a lot of tire wear at a track like that. And there will be times where everybody's running. You know, you can run 40 laps on a 50, 45 laps on a set of tires, but because of the fall off, they call it, which is the, the lap time, starting lap time to the lap time at lap 20 to the lap time on the at lap tires. 35 on the tires, okay. it falls off. So you will get this game where who is going to pit first, they call it short pitting. So you will short pit to come in to put tires on because if you come down pit road, put tires on and go back out and you're making up two seconds a lap on everybody else, you're forcing the hand. You have to make, everybody has to pit mm. because you have now got to stay within that time limit or you're going to lose so much time on the racetrack that you're going to be a lap down and, and be out. Right. I had that happen to us, you know, with Carl one time and that was a, that was a pretty big deal, you know? Yeah. So we ended up losing out on that and you know, it's pretty hard to take things as you go, as you learn, you know I mean? I was like third race in the season as a crew chief and yeah, it's like, yeah, that you learn those lessons and you, and you move on, you know, you're like, mm. all right, well, I'm going to be better for that next time. You know? Right. And there's a lot of that, that, that goes on. Are there, are there regulations as far as like how many times you can pit or change tires or things like that? The only thing that regulates you on that is the number of tire sets that you are allowed. So, you know, 500 mile race, you have 11 or 12 sets of tires. Okay. So you can't just you do have, it as many times as no, you want. I mean, you, you can, you'll just be out of tires. So it comes <laughs> back to management, you know, you right, have to gotcha. manage that whole situation. Just like you said, course management, it's tire management and then to get the most out of those tires to have that driver be as smooth as possible so he's not tearing his tires up in the first 10 laps and right. then now you've dropped off so far on time that you got to come and pit and you're done so right. that's where there's that how hard do you run you know how long do you run and then how can you just 
pound everybody else into the dirt because you were the most consistent at it. There's the drivers out there that are so smooth that get that done. You know, uh, Jimmy Johnson is a is a, the master of the machine, they call him, because he just gets it figured out. He knows exactly what he can get out of his car. Uh, he pushes as hard as he can. Kevin Kevin uh, Harvick's another one. They yeah. just get it done. God, I didn't I didn't realize how much went into that. That's that's pretty fascinating. So okay, okay, let's jump back over to your career. So okay, so you um you start working on the cars about ninety five, ninety six, and then like is it kind of like a coaching staff like where you know you're you're part of this team and you know maybe because you had a relationship with this person they get you on you know the the staff of this team or this driver is that kind of how that works it's actually exactly like that um so i worked for a team in uh from 94 to 99 it was a small team and um when there was an opportunity came up at roush racing for um which is a bigger organization they spend more money and they have just you know better cars everything else you kind of go over there and interview and, and hopefully you've been seen in the garage area or whatever. And they know your work ethic and, and right. they interview you. And, and they've seen how your, your not lesser driver, but your, your other driver has done or their car has. Yeah. There's some performed. of that performance that, that you, you know, a lot of it is and you know, how many parts fell off your race car, or what do you, <laughs> you know, how, how are you involved in any of that? You know, yeah. that type of thing. How are your pit stops? And uh, at that point in time, early on, you know, we did multiple things. Now you have pit crews that are basically hired to change tires, and that's all they do. Where when I first started, hmm. you know, you would actually, you know, I would I would drive the truck to the racetrack. We'd work on it, and then we would, uh, you know, tell the DOT this because they'll probably come find me. But, <laughs> um, you know, so you, you do all that, and then you'd even change tires, like, during the race. Like, so I would, would change tires, and we'd load the truck up and drive it home, you know, and be on to the next racetrack. So okay. there was a lot of multitasking that went on with with all the with all that stuff. So I got to do a lot of different things there. Um, I guess I kind of just lost my thought of where I was at there. Well, so you you moved up to another team. You were oh, that's a smaller right. team, and then Rauscher. Yeah, Roush, uh, Roush. Jack, Jack Roush, Roush okay, Racing, Roush. went to work there. I actually worked there for um, 13, 15 years, so it was quite a while. Um, and, and in the scheme of things, like working in this whole industry for 20-something years, I worked for like three race teams. Okay. And so that's kind of rare. A lot of times people You bounce jump, around a lot? Yeah, because okay. you see that, you know, you... So it was kind of the funniest thing because it's the only place you go to work and there's 40 different employers all within, you know, stone's throw of each other. And, and in yeah, the garage, kinda, yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird because you show up and you're like, oh, I'm going to go work over there, you know, and because they're three <laughs> cars down and, uh. and everything's done in, in, in NASCAR by points. So the point leader, whoever is, is running the best and right. is leading the points is actually first to park in the garage, first in the garage stall. And then it's all run down. Now, why that is that? Is that to get a better spot or is it to no, have more just, time in the garage? Yeah, that all of that. All and of it's that. It's like a reward. So the further <laughs> you are up in points, the better off your whole position, your whole weekend is going to be just starting that way. So once you once you get up there, then, I mean, it, it it's... Uh, it, it's like it's it's not easy to stay up there, but it, it once you get up there, I mean, it, it really makes it easier for you to stay up there. Absolutely, because you're the first to unload your car, you're the first to get inspected, you're first to go through tech, and and actually the first to be ready on the racetrack. So yeah, wow. it's very important to be up there in the point situation. And so back to the finding when you work in a garage area, you know, across from people, they see you. So when you move from a team to another team, it's 
a lot of times they see your work because they yeah. s- see you there. So it's uh, it can be easy to move from team to team. I'm and, sure that bo- that works both ways, yeah. where you know good and bad reputations Absolutely. will bounce around. Oh yeah, yeah it'll get you, it'll get you either <laughs> way. That's fascinating. Okay, so you when you moved to Roush, you moved there in '99, mm-hmm. and is that when you started working with Carl? Uh, no, actually, uh, I worked with Jeff Burton. Was the first driver I worked with, and so I worked f- in uh, Cup for five years and had never won a race. I mean, that's mm. it's, it's tough to win races there, and you got guys that you know, like Jimmy Johnson's won eighty something races and seven championships, and that's yeah. that is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that's just unheard of, and it's being in the trenches like i had done for so many years you're like wow that is just amazing didn't he win like five in a row or four yeah in a row? i think it was five championships in a row maybe that's good. just insane huh it is it's absolutely mind-boggling wow. and so that first year in cup when i went over to uh or first now, year at when you when you're saying when you're saying cup is that the difference between like the bush series and nascar or? that is, well nascar actually is the entire governing uh, body oh, okay i understand and there's different series so you have the cup series which is like major league baseball and okay then you have the which is now the xfinity series which is kind of like triple a baseball well, th- then, so that was the bush nationwide yeah, now xfinity correct okay yeah, as the sponsors change the gotcha. titles change on gotcha. that deal. okay that they still call it grand national or or it's the second tier race okay so when i went from the cup team i was at uh, which was Butch Mock Motorsports, small team. And then I went to um, Roush Racing. And that first year, we won six races. And uh, so I've won. I've been fortunate. been been a part of winning 20-something races okay. in the Cup Series. And um, and does everybody does everybody kind of benefit from that? From the wins? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a, it makes you feel better. It's the whole reason you're there. But not so races. much as like a, a, a bonus or? Uh, the, some, depend, it just depends on how they're laid out. Okay, Some gotcha. teams... Uh, at Roush, when we were there, the the bonus program was pretty good. Okay, you know? so that was that was one of the perks to winning races. Uh, I think the biggest reason to win races is because you want to know that you were part of that deal. Yeah, and that's what it really came down to. Okay, and so car chief for for how long? And then when did you when did you hook up with Carl? Because that seems to be maybe one of the more successful stretches was working with Carl. Is that right? Yeah, they're actually. Yes. So when I got there with Jeff Burton, we actually had a pretty successful streak from, uh, so it was 99, 2000, 2001. We won the bulk of our races there. And okay. then um, 2002, we kind of had struggled a little bit. And then in about 2003, I think they decided to make a driver change. Roush did. And so Jeff kind of got pushed out. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was this new talent, this kid that can do backflips and was incredible <laughs> driving trucks and, and just a, a real incredible talent. He gets in the car and he doesn't know any different. So he just runs wide open. And, and, uh, we had some success in 2005 when they had that. So they first started the, um, what do they call it? The championship or the, like the, the race for the chase, uh, that where you lock in a oh, certain okay. number of drivers We had 10 gotcha. drivers that year. And we actually qualified for that with, with a guy that basically had one year's worth of experience. And, <laughs> you know, we walked into that deal and it was like, hey, you know, the worst we're going to finish is 10th because, you know, we could. we could, Yeah, because uh, you've made that. We made the cut. And, and from that point, you're going to finish 10th. And we actually uh, finished third that year. And I think we tied for 
Uh, let's see. Our teammate actually beat us. Greg Biffle finished second that year. I think we had the same points, and he had a, one more win or something and beat us out for that. But pretty impressive for yeah, you know for, sure. for a guy that hadn't really run that. Now, was much that was that Carl, and that was Carl. Okay, that was a that was a pretty impressive run there. I remember. So my wife is a uh, cosmetologist. She does hair color and does sure. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. That was kind of a crazy year because we. Uh, made that deal and then every week she had actually did a different color my hair was a different color every week it was kind of fun she she was really good at well, that well i see and, she did it so much that it has no color now yeah yeah i always told everybody it was like you know cut by me a color by stress so. but uh yeah so that's why it's kind of funny because for the longest time so my hair is white and uh people actually thought i did this to my hair it was like how do you do that and i'm like i don't live my life you'll understand <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so so was it in 2000? When did Carl win the cup? Uh, Carl actually has not won a cup rate, a cup championship. We won a nationwide championship. Oh, that's right. Or Bush, actually, at the time, and that was in uh, 07. 07. So, so what was that season like? Okay, had you moved to crew chief at that yeah, point? Yeah, so what they did was I was the car chief on the 99 car, and then in 2006 they had um, – kind of a run-in with a crew chief they had and they fired him and they brought me over so i went from car chief to, to crew chief okay from one series to the other same organization though. same company yes same organization just a, a different racing level so so it was going from a car chief in the cup series to um the crew chief in a nationwide series that's still pretty similar pretty similar okay pretty similar in that we hadn't exactly had all of the you know, kind of like the split, like we had in cup racing with gotcha. uh, all the all the uh, responsibilities and stuff. So I got to still work on the car quite a bit um, in in that role over on the the, the Bush side. So that was pretty cool. Uh, got that opportunity in that 2006. We finished second in the points. Harvick beat us pretty bad. Yeah. And then in 2007, we won the championship. And then um, 2008, ran a few races, and then I actually got moved back over to the Cup Series. Okay. So that we had struggled in the early 08, and um, kind of just things weren't going well. So, right. they, you know, they make changes to, you know, how it well, goes. Well, you have to. I mean, you do that in every like sport. Just, yeah. yeah. So in that 2007 series, I mean, how many races are you looking at in a, in a season? I think it was 32 races we ran that year. So, you know, it's, you know, I, I played college football and, and, and lots of others. I played baseball and wrestled and stuff. But in college football, you know, as you get later in the season and you're in a good position, pressure gets more, competition gets more stiff, you get into playoffs, same kind of thing. Is it kind of, is it the same thing when you get, um, when you get into, you know, the later part of the season and okay, we're in the lead here. I mean, what's that last bit like when you're trying to close down a cup champion or a, a series championship? Well, in that series, we had a total points championship. So there was not a playoff situation yet in that series. That only actually had started like in 2005, and they started it with a cup series where they had like the chase, they right. called it, and the, the right. cutoffs and all that. In the nationwide series, they didn't do that. They had left the points series like it had been for years where – Every race, you are awarded 185 points for the win, and then on down from that placing, and then wherever your total is at the end of the year, that's so you could kind of foresee. I mean, it's not like it had to come down to the last race for the most part. It didn't in that series at that time. We actually clinched the championship five races from the end. Okay, we had uh, a pretty big lead. So, um, in that in that sense, it wasn't that uh, that big a deal. But going forward when i went from the nationwide series back to the cup series in 2000 
11 when I was with Carl again back in Cup Series. You know, we ended up tying Tony Stewart for a Cup championship, and he mm. beat us out because they had more wins. So we had exactly the same number of points. And I was so they just took wins yeah, to, as they, the tie break, basically. The tie break, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they'll take wins, and if you if both competitors have the same wins, they go to top fives. So you almost had a, a nationwide series championship and a cup championship. Yeah, the cup championship would have been as a car chief, but I still, still. Was, would have taken it. You know, I, yeah, I wanted man. to go to New York. I wanted to share that with my family, and and it was really it was it was really a bummer because that night when it all went down, came down to that last race in Homestead, and. Yeah. Um, you know, Tony Stewart won that, and he did a fantastic job oh, winning shit. that so deal. Just and, by winning that, by winning that race, he won the race. He had to win the race to win the championship. If he any other position, we would have won the championship. So it's like yeah. he beat us by that. So he he beat us by one position, which was enough to tie the points. And because the points were tied, he got it on wins. And so we had to sit there after race is over. Did you guys come in second them. in the race? Oh yeah, came oh, in second man. in the race, and we did all we could do other than we needed to either have him not win or we needed to win it and just and it just didn't happen. Oh, that's devastating. So, yeah, it was tough because you're sitting there watching everybody party and, you know, everybody's just really enjoying themselves because we had to be in teardown next to each other. Well, so, yeah, so that's another yeah, byproduct of, right. of this sport is being next to each other has its downsides as yeah. well. Oh. And that was it. So that was tough. That's you know, killer, it was, man. Because, I mean, it was one position basically yeah. we would have been celebrating and they were would have been watching us celebrate so uh-huh. uh it's tough you know those things that you think well okay you you get through that and that's going to make you tough and you're gonna you're gonna get this done the next year and circumstances change and people change and you know it just never never comes back together you see you know in music you know these these artists that have stayed together for years and years and years yeah. and it's amazing because when you get, and I don't know how music is, but with we have so many egos with, oh, uh, with yeah. this sport. You know, I'm sure it's the same way, and it's just to watch that happen and those people keep that magic for that long is just amazing. Well, I would imagine too, like you know, when you're a veteran like you are, uh, you know, a lot of young guys come in. Let's take it. Let's take a guy that comes into the in the NFL and make it to the Super Bowl the first year, and they think, well, shit, this is easy. Right. You know, this is going to happen every year. And they, like, well, Dan Marino right. is a great example of that. He made it to the Super Bowl, I think, his first or second year, and never made it back again. Right. And so I'm sure, you know, by that point, you had, what, f- 13, 14 years under your belt. You knew this, that you had to know this is a special experience. Absolutely. And and that's got to that's got to have, that had to have made that that coming in second that much more yeah it was bitter tough. Yeah, it was tough because you you know how it, the the year is so long i mean we run 36 races a year so yeah. we start in february end in november it's like hockey except oh, you man. know just it's craziest weekends and stuff so you know that and you look back and you and you say in that season so in 2011 it's like we needed one point to win the championships all we needed right so there's the you know the time where we had a restart against somebody at Darlington and they squeaked us out for one position or even, a and that would have made the difference. Oh yeah. Even a teammate at another race where he would just had given us the position instead of fighting us the whole rest of the race. Yeah. There's that one point, you know, you Ugh. look back and you go, Oh man, this is crazy. We one point, you yeah. know, it's just, it's well, maddening. I mean, conversely though, I mean, the same could be said about Tony Stewart's team. I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, and actually the way their night started there was pretty bad. They ended up having something went through the radiator and, and knocked the 
not the radio, they replaced the radio on pit road, came back from the back of the field, like a number of times from different adversities that night. So it was, it was destined. They replaced the radiator on pit road. Yeah. I mean, you can just boom, pop out and pop in a new radiator. Yeah. That's amazing, man. At the time you could, you can't do that now. The rules have changed immensely, but yeah, there was, they had uh, just things that you were like, okay, well, I guess they're done. And here they comes from the back of the pack again. Oh, and your heart just sinks. I bet uh, you're like, wow. (laughs) Damn it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I bet, man. Well, I want to talk about some of the, the rules and regulation changes. Um, but uh, I want to uh, let you guys know about Be The Change Global Wellness, um, which consists of EMDR therapy and trauma specialists. Um, they help heal the mind, body, and spirit. They're doing some really important work in uh, Puerto Rico right now, and, and they could use a little bit of your help. So if you can get uh, teamed up with them, you can donate monthly, you can give a one-time gift, or you can create a partnership with them. Uh, visit BeTheChangeGlobalWellness.com if you want to help out with their efforts. So um, we, we started with, with moonshine runners. Yeah, we did. And whatever they had, that's what they ran. Um, overall, do you, do you see all the, the little changes and regulations and, and rule modifications as a, as a good thing, a bad thing? I mean, I mean it's really getting fine-tuned now, isn't it? It's pretty intense. Um, I was at a friend of mine's house uh, working on one of my cars or whatever, and I, this was as funny because we pick up. I pick up this rule book, right? It's mm-hmm. an NHR rule book, and it's probably at the time it was like 156 pages. Okay. And I'm looking. What I'm year was that? This was like in I don't know 2005 or something. Oh, okay. All right. And and I looked through that and I said, "Is this for, is this for everything?" And he's like, "Yeah, uh, for every." Every actual like pro stocks, funny car, uh, top fuel, everything was in this whole book. 150. It's like our book was like eight times that thick, and it's just for our series. Like the whole nationwide Seriously. series had their own series, their own rule book. And I'm like, man, it, it just shows you that the creativity uh-huh. in. So basically, the only reason they have the rules is because we have, as the competitors have done something that, you know, felt NASCAR felt that was unfair, that there was, you were given unfair advantage. So they write a rule to it. So the whole rule book is created because, well, we were creative. And, um, so as, they'd write something and yeah, you as, guys would figure out as, a way around that. Or? Yeah. They called it the gray area, you know? <laughs> and then there was the, always at the very last line in the rule book is all rules are subject to NASCAR's discretion. So that was like the final rule to where, if we don't like what you're doing, we're going to put an end to it. And they mm. would they would let some stuff go for the season till they would write the rule in the next year that would take maybe an advantage away from somebody doing something specific and or if it was if it was an intentional around the rule book bad enough, they would they would write the rule right then and there right then and, and there. you were done and you might even sit her out for some suspension time and, you know, <laughs> it was it they, they were clamping down on it. It's kind of gotten to the point where now it's almost, you know, it's not any fun anymore because you can't be creative. You know, right. everything the, that has come down to all of the talent that it took to build those cars, everything's stamped out now. It's kind of like you mm-hmm. have these chassis and they have to be this and everything has to be submitted and you have to submit it and get approval before you can put it on your car. And if you don't, then there's a big fine and... So kind of all of that secrecy that we had for, you know, years in in 
getting an advantage and, and being able to run with it and, you know, spank the competition, you can't do anymore. So, I mean, would you, would you go so far as to say that, you know, a, a lot of the people that were super successful, um, they were good at exploiting that gray area? Yeah. Yeah. Super creative at, at, uh, reading the rules and, and making it work for themselves or for the, for the benefit of the team. Yeah. yeah. That's what's, that's what made the, the great crew chiefs great because they could look at it and they'd be a couple steps ahead and they could mm. make it really work. Yeah. You know, I, I find that similar to, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a Patriots fan at all. I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I, I Brady's growing on me. It's, I mean, it's taken a lot of time, but the one thing about Belichick and what the Patriots do is they find that gray area and they do a great job of exploiting it. And a lot of people get pissed off about it, but it's because they're pissed off that they didn't think of it. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that, but I think it's, it's, if, if it's within the confines of the rules and you can make it work, why not? Right. Right. So, and it's, that's the whole deal. It's like things are getting so tight and so critical that you have to look kind of outside the box to figure out what's the next thing is going to make this, yeah. make us stand above everybody else. Because we have sponsors that, that pay us big money. Mm-hmm. to put their name on our cars and they want to see those cars up front. So sure. you're going to do everything you can to be to that point, to be up front. And sometimes you get caught and you get fined and, and that deal, or, you know, or you actually have a good run for, you know, half a dozen races or a dozen races and you've gotten that advantage and, hmm. and you've got, you've got your sponsor out front. That's really what it comes down to. So they're yeah. paying the bills. They're the ones that want to be seen. So you're going to do, you're forced to think just, in ways that maybe you didn't you know look at and yeah. that's how you're going to get up front so are these uh, the way you're explaining it i mean is it confining it so much to the point that it it i mean how do you how do you have any kind of any kind of uh, you know changing of the guard how do you have any kind of i mean real competitive i mean it, how can the competition really get mixed up all that much if if you if you don't have people that can that can outthink or outperform. I mean, if it's that confined, how does how do things change? Well, the drivers come in. You know, the younger drivers that are coming now actually have a, a more difficult time than the older drivers that came in when they were new. So, like you take a a Jeff Gordon for instance, when he came in, I can't tell you how many cars he wrecked before he figured it out. <laughs> Where now, because of the likes of Carl Edwards that came in and just blazed him from the beginning. Hmm. You know, he's kind of set that higher bar that these team owners are now saying, okay, they won't give anybody the, the amount of time that it took to hone in like Jeff Gordon did. Right. Where Carl got in the car and he made it happen and made it work. And then, you know, you get these newer drivers in, they may last a half a season and the, and the owners are like, eh, this guy doesn't got the talent. So right. uh, the talent on the, on the race car side of the driver is as important as the car itself. So it's quite a, you know, everything moves forward together. Yeah. You know, the driver has to be on it because you can have the best equipment in the world. And if you don't have anybody that can make it work, then yeah, there's what's no magic the point? there. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to talk about um, you stepping away, and then I want to get into some questions that um, that people have provided for us. But uh, we want to tell you about Stay Safe Security Supplies. You know, we're all looking for ways to protect ourselves from uh, harm, theft, and the like without having to resort to lethal force, and Stay Safe Security Supplies can help you with that. Visit staysafesecuritysupplies.com 
for tasers, stun guns, pepper sprays, uh, cameras, and much more. That's staysafesecuritysupplies.com. So when did you decide that it was time to walk away from the whole NASCAR thing? It was actually this year um, in March. Uh, actually, last season, uh, I worked for a team, H. Scott Motorsports, that ended up closing down because they couldn't get the sponsorship they needed to run. So uh, they closed, and um, I actually had um, a guy I worked with in 2011 on that championship team that we almost won. Right. Uh, he was the he was the lead engineer, and he actually went to work uh, shortly after that season he quit racing and went to work for tesla and he called me at the end of that year and said hey i want you to come out here and and uh go to work here and i was like at first it's like you gotta this is like from north carolina to california this is quite a jump it is and i I took it about 20 percent serious i was flattered you know it's like hey that's a nice compliment but i don't think this is gonna fly and then um as job prospects kind of like Okay, so in NASCAR in the last few years, they have reduced the number of teams for competition. So there used to be in and out every weekend 43 to 45 cars trying to make a 43-car field. Okay. Well, in recent years, they've reduced the number of cars to 40 cars. So if you think about the personnel side of that, that's three teams that have gone away. So And you're looking at, what, 40 people? Well, you could be people. looking anywhere between uh, that. So traveling wise, just traveling alone is 20 people. So if you have uh, a, a resources at the shop, that's going to be another 75 or 80 people. So really? I mean, we're talking about 100 people easily per team. That's that, how much that's how much in, yeah, like, effort goes into getting one car on the racetrack. Yeah, wow. because we actually don't have just one car. So we have a fleet of cars and they go through and they. You have three super speedway cars and two oh, okay. road gotcha. course cars gotcha. and short track cars and intermediate cars are the bulk. And then they're in a rotation and they, they fix, they get them ready to go. So you have, you just got done racing a super speedway and the thing's trashed. And then, right. so those guys are going to start building the next super speedway car for the next event. That's, you know, two months down the road or whatever it is. And so there's always a rotation. They work at, their their race cars that they're working on are eight weeks ahead of the race cars that we're working on. Oh, I got you. Because we're taking them to the racetrack that week. Right. So there's quite a, you know, the, the the amount of people that it takes to run that deal. So as they as NASCAR started dwindling teams off, well, that's less places to go to work. It was four or five hundred yeah. jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that in that kind of uh, I had a good career. You know, I worked twenty two years in cup racing or something. So, I mean, I had all that stuff go. So as um, jobs start to, to do it off on those other teams, you know, everybody that you know, it's so tight to get in anywhere. Yeah. You know, I interviewed for a couple of different car chief positions and uh, one of them, they said, oh, we're going to hire, you know, they're going to move a guy up from within. Well, you can't knock them for that. Sure. That, that's what they need to do. Loyalty is not really loyalty. anything that you can be upset about. Exactly. Sure. So, you know, there were some, some really key positions that would have been great to do, but, you know, there were other circumstances that, that took over for that. Right. And um, so it finally just dwindled down to this, the the last place I'd worked, and, you know, it was okay, just wasn't hanging out. And then so this deal with Tesla came up after after uh, my friend called me from that I worked with him, and I was like, well, so I started to entertain a little bit of that, you know. Sure. Um, I still got some kids that I get to get through some higher education <laughs> and can't just, you know, walk away from it and right. and be done and, and that type of thing. So 
um, I entertained it and came out here for an interview and it was pretty exciting. And so the cool thing about what I do is it's pretty much what I did. So, really? you know, it's being in charge of cars and working on cars and, um, you just, you, it's a whole different level. They just yeah. don't make any sound. These ones don't, you know, it's crazy, so man. It's, it's pretty cool. So that worked out really well and it all came together and, and I came out here in March and, and uh, it's just been wide open since. Okay. So, um, I want to get back into that with you, but, um, I want to remind you guys about apex tactical resources, uh, your source for firearms, tactical and hunting survival gear, check them out. And, uh, at apex tactical resources.com, Randy Scholl's great guy over there. Um, you can live the tactical life if that's your thing at apex tactical resources. So, um, and now how long have you, have you been at Tesla? Uh, since March. Since so, March. Eight, okay. It was eight months or something. And, and you said, what was the, the, the department you're working in? Uh, chassis dynamics or vehicle dynamics. Okay. Uh, so are you like in the developmental side of things or are you in the testing side of things? Testing and uh, fine tuning side of things. So the, the engineering draws up a vehicle, they, they produce it, they put it out there and then we take that vehicle and tune on it. So okay. We have drivers that that will we drive on routes and specific places we go test and those drivers will you know talk about on center steering or how the car feels overall and um and we tune on that so we'll change shock absorbers and springs to to get that car to have a, a really nice balance to it so it's fun to drive this hmm. the new model three that has just come out which is the sensation you know of of the electric world pretty much everywhere i mean the thing yeah. is phenomenal so uh we got some really good write-ups in in all the work that we'd put into those cars um and they're just a blast to drive so do you feel uh, do you feel an equal pressure or or is it a different kind of pressure as you know as opposed to putting something on a racetrack and that immediate need for results compared to this is going into the marketplace well, there's still a certain amount of results, right? So right. we have pre-orders for God who knows how many, 450, 500,000 cars. So there's <laughs> there's a need to push these dates to get these uh, delivery dates done because we want these people to be in these fantastic cars. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have dates that are set by engineering and they say, okay, you have to have a package by this date. So it's, it's a lot of the same thing rather than just the day-to-day you know, you've got to be on track from 10 to 10.30. Right. I mean, we still have kind of the same deal because we have to get the changes in the car. We try to get the changes done as, as quick as possible so the drivers can get as many changes done. So when they, when they quote-unquote, sign off on a car uh, with that, the feel of that car, that we're doing it as quick as we can because it's nice to have that done before the, the drop-dead dates. You sure. Know, of when those releases have to be done. So, um we try to just work as quickly as we can, as efficiently as we can to mm. to get all those changes done for them. Now, you know, change can be an uncomfortable thing for people. And, you know, I think leaving NASCAR from in North Carolina, being based in North Carolina and moving out to the West Coast to do something like this, that's, that's a change and it's uncomfortable to a degree. But did, did coming out here to do this kind of stoke your fire and get kind of get you re-energized and loving what you do again or did you still feel that when you were nascar no i i ran out of that at yeah. nascar so coming out here you know doing this this whole project uh was, was exactly what i felt 25 years ago when i moved to north carolina yeah. you know it was kind of funny I, I spoke to my sister and um i was telling her what i was going to do and she's like well you did it 25 years ago 
you're the perfect person to get it done now. Yeah. And I was like, well, I never really thought about that, but <laughs> I guess you're right. You know, I loaded my pickup truck with everything that I owned in it and drove 3,000 miles across the country, not knowing a single, well, I knew one person yeah. and started knocking on doors and, and went to work that way. So it, um, you can get it done. If yeah. You put your mind to it. Some of it, you know, I look back at it now and go, wow, what was I thinking? But I didn't know any better, yeah. so I just did it. Sometimes that's helpful. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And I think that that is. And it's kind of like the same thing here. I don't really know. Uh, I, I don't know better, so I'm going to go do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm not afraid of work, so I'm going to work the hours it takes to get it done. And that's, we have kind of a kooky work schedule, you yeah. know, I mean, in what we do because of the day, the the deadlines and and, um, you know, our boss, Elon, he, he gets in these cars and drives them and, and he may like them and he may not like them. And if he doesn't like them, we got to fix them. And yeah. so, uh, everything revolves around his, his taste in the car and what he wants to see, you know, him being a visionary and all. And, and that and, he is too. Yeah. I yeah. mean, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I read that Rolling Stone article today that, yeah. that he did and, and that, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, he, um, he has those visions to get these things done and, and has quite the, fan club out there that believe in him and well that's got to make you feel pretty good being a part of something like that as well Oh, absolutely yeah I, the way i compare this this model three that we've just come out with is just like the model t was in 1909 or whenever it was it came yeah. out right so this is the vehicle for the masses i mean you have mm. a a life-changing vehicle that's electric and and everybody's gonna be able to afford it this is not just for the people that can afford a $100,000 car now. I mean, you got a right. $35,000 car that's on the market that is fun to drive. It's going to it's going to change the way we look at vehicles because it no longer has emissions. And, you know, hmm. there's just different ways to look at things. You know, you have what they have what's called charging anxiety, right? Because you can't just pull into a gas station and put 2 bucks in your car gotcha. and, and make it to, you know, wherever you're going to go. So you have to think about it a little bit different of, of how you run these cars. So the cool thing is is really no different than your phone you go at home at night and you, you get done with the day you plug your phone in you go to sleep and it charges while you're sleeping right it's kind of the same thing with a car you just drive it home you plug it in and the next day you're ready to go again and it's cool because of the thought that you don't have to go find a gas station anymore what's well, so <laughs> it's, counter it's so counterintuitive i mean right. a lot of the parts of these vehicles are so counterintuitive i mean we we're talking about you know these self-driving cars and 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 you know, cars that you don't put gas in and this and that. And, and it, it, we're just, but that's, you know, it's, it, it's almost equivalent to what we're talking about as, as far as human beings is sometimes we need to, you know, stir things up and rethink them and, you know, not be afraid to change and take a risk. Right. Because the results can be, you know, and, and the results is what we need to have happen because of, you know, all of the, the changes in the climate and everything else that we're doing. We're just putting out so many emissions that, you know, it's kind of a, it was kind of a joke when I was in racing all the time because people would give me crap all the time for recycling, right? So I recycle everything. Okay. And they're like, "What? Why do you spend so much time doing that?" I was like, "Hey, I got four kids. I got to leave this earth too. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. I may only be around for the next twenty or thirty years, but I have to think ahead that I've got to leave something for them. I mean, right. because how mad are they going to be mad at me if I shortchange them out because I didn't do something right?" And so that's kind of like the whole, you know, Elon Musk story. He's just all about trying to make things better for everybody. And, yeah. and I think it's pretty cool. That is very cool. And it's, it's got to feel good to, to be a part of that. And it's got to feel good that, you know, you took the risk to do it and it's paying off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great uh, experience. You know, everything um, from the move out here, absolutely everything from March to here 
coming out here has fallen into place. It's like it was meant to be, and and there the obstacles of just like there are none. It's yeah. been amazing, and and we're you know how it is. Like you get a is work going to be what they say it is, and you go in, and it was absolutely everything that was said. This is how it's going to be, and and everything fell into place, and it's just been it's been a blessing. Yeah. You know, I, and I think that that's important. And then I want to get to some of these questions from from fans, but I think that's important that people realize. You know, it, it it's it's healthy to do what you did, and and actually what I'm doing with this podcast. You know, it's when you become stagnant and you just kind of give up. It's just that's not living. No, you know. And and I I've been making films now for fourteen, fifteen years, and there, you know, I, I'd lost my my mojo for it and I'd lost my enthusiasm for it. And I started this podcasting and I just absolutely love it, you know, and it it feels nice to be that fired up again. Right. Because, you know, probably much like you, I was one of the most ambitious young people. And, you know, sometimes it was over overly ambitious and I just ran my head into the wall, but um, it paid off, but you grow tired of it sometimes. And so starting this and what you're doing is, you know, it's nice to be stirred up again and go, shit, I, I still have some fire for this stuff. Um, okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna tell you guys about uh, a sponsor real quick, and then I want to get into some questions, if that's all right, from Absolutely. some of the fans that uh, that wrote in. But I want to remind everyone about Be The Change Global Wellness, uh, which consists of EMDR therapy and trauma specialists. Uh, EMDR, of course, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, it's endorsed by the World Health Organization and be the change is doing some great work down in Puerto Rico, um, to to in a restoration effort down there. So team up with them if you can. You can donate monthly, give them a, a one-time gift, or create a partnership with them by visiting their website at bethechangeglobalwellness.com. So I gave people a chance to um, to write in and say, okay, if you could talk to this guy, what would you <laughs> ask him? And you know, some of the questions are. I'm just going to read them to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Kevin Roethlisberger, he's out of, out of uh, Farmington, New Mexico. That's um, Ben's brother, right? Yeah, that's Ben. <laughs> big Ben's brother. Yeah, that's big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, what are his, his thoughts on electric cars in general? Does he think there's a future in that or a likelihood that NASCAR would ever go electric? I don't, you know, IndyCar has done that EV series uh, where you actually have two identically prepared vehicles and they charge them up and you run half the race on one battery and the other half on the other. I, I, I'm struggling to see the competition there. I, yeah. I don't know where NASCAR is going to go with that. You know, I mean, there's that you, if you look at manufacturers, like I think Volvo has said that by 2024, all vehicles will be electric. Hmm. Uh, GM has made, that's not that far away. No, no. And GM has made a, a deal. I think where in the next four or five years that, 20 vehicles are going to be full electric. So electric vehicles are here. Yeah. I think it took someone like Elon Musk to point that out to him. Um, I was a big, I've always said that I think the auto industry did not want electric vehicles because if you look at the design of every electrical vehicle that was out there before the Tesla, they're just butt ugly. <laughs> I think they made them that way. Yeah. So people didn't want to invest in them because it's like, oh, you're driving an ugly car. I mean, you look at that Honda Insight, remember that came out? Of, yeah, yeah. It's like every time they came out with a vehicle, we're like, okay, we got to make this ugly so it doesn't sell. And then where Tesla, we, you know, they came out with that first design in 2012. And I remember looking at it, you know, in North Carolina, going, man, I'd really like to own one of those. And to me, it looked like a Maserati. I thought it was yeah. just so sleek and so, mm-hmm. so nice looking. And, 
And here we've, and this Model 3 that's out now that's coming out that, you know, go to Tesla.com and look at the, <laughs> you know, look at the models. They're fantastic. And this, this car is, is so fun to drive. Now that's the one that kind of fits in a, in a price range that Absolutely. works for people, right? Yeah. What, I mean, the mid thirties. Yeah. Mid thirties start at 35,000 and, and they'll go up from there because the old point and click, you can pretty much add any option you want when you order it. It's pretty awesome. Scary, and, man. Uh, yeah, there's <laughs> going like to be ordering a pizza. <laughs> it, it really is. And it's, it's going to be cool because you can have a, a pretty, you know, dialed in piece. That's exactly what you want. And you can get in whatever color you want, wheel sizes. There's, you know, they all have different options for that. So it's a, it's a point and click thing. You order your car and it's yours. And, and just like that, we're going to get them cranked out and Shit, everybody's going to have them. Um, all right. So Randy Alanis is in the Houston area and he said, he asks, uh, on the Tesla side of things, I'd love to know where, where does Tesla's chassis engineering team see their product company in a decade? Uh, across most major markets solely, or is there anything they have planned that would be attainable by even entry to mid-level earners? Well, that Model 3 is the that's entry it. to middle level. Yeah. You know, that's your car. And and it has safety ratings are, are great. Uh, with a battery that's on the floor, it's a very safe car. Now, Matt was telling me, like, double-A batteries make up... Is that, it's kind of like that. It's, it's kind of like they're that. like C-size batteries. But okay, yeah, that's generally what it is, and they're all just put in series, and, and it's the width of the car. So the entire floorboard of the car, left to right, front to back, from where the wheels are, is one giant battery. So the crash protection is really great. You know, your wow. side impacts, the batteries are, are super rigid, and your weight is on the bottom. So like, there's no all of your weight, your CG is so low that the car right. handles really well. That's amazing, man. And the other cool thing about one of these cars that people don't realize, in race cars, as you burn fuel off, that changes how your car handles. So really, you start with because of weight distribution. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you start with eighteen gallons of fuel, multiply that by six point five pounds, and you've got, you know, what is it, one hundred and seventy pounds back there in the car. And as you're yeah. running the race, that fuel burns off. Car gets lighter. Car gets lighter, but it also gains more nose weight, or actually more weight on the front wheels which makes it harder to turn so that's another one of those things that you have to take into account when you're racing because the fuel's burning off well with an electric car weight doesn't change yeah your your electrons burn off and your you don't your handling so there's stays cons- the same. there's consistency there all the way through yeah that's pretty cool um scott kenberg is um he's in uh minnesota uh, Twin Cities area, Cottage Grove. That was pointed out to me. Cottage Grove, Minnesota, <laughs> specifically. Um, what are Tesla's future pro- uh, products, um, and what insight can he give as to what's to come in the future, as far as like sedans, semis, or trucks? Well, they had the unveiling. Uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago where they showed the semi truck, and uh, that's pretty impressive. There, there's quite a few orders actually. I guess Walmart's ordered car uh, trucks. Didn't they order like a half a dozen or something? <clears throat> I don't know exactly what the numbers yeah, are, but they've, something on they've that. Uh, that started already, so they're looking into that, and which is great because I mean, who knows how many trucks you see up and down the road that have Walmart on them? That, <laughs> that I mean, and, and not not so much that we get to sell vehicles, but all the emissions that those vehicles put out yeah. so we can clean that up. I mean, that's going to be great. There's a ripple effect to this. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's really cool. Yeah. And then at the end of that show there, they unloaded that Roadster, which was uh, <laughs> mind-blowing, yeah. I guess, is to the, to the point that it's a phenomenal vehicle. So 
that, I mean, that's obviously for the elitists, you know, I think those sure. things start at $250,000 or some deal. So Insane. yeah. And, and they sold a ton of them, I guess. Really? I, from what I heard. Yeah. It went really well. And, and, um, it's going to be quite a piece. And so on down the road, um, I think there, there's in the works for, a um, like a crossover, like a okay. uh, like a CV, I guess they call them, but we we're gonna call it something else, obviously, because we can't do everything like everybody else. So <laughs> obviously, but it's not. gonna yeah. be a, it's gonna be off of the three chassis, and it's gonna be just a, a little bigger vehicle for. It's gonna be smaller than like the X, which was a you know a huge hit for all the gadget guys with the cool doors and all that stuff, you know, and yeah, and so this is gonna be a simpler form. That's what the Model Three is is great at being super simple. If you look at the inside of the car, it's very clean. There's, yeah. there's just very minimalistic uh, all the way through. And you're like you're literally putting the entire design into the consumer's hands. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Um, Roger, I've just a few more here. Because um, believe it or not, we're actually at an hour already. Oh. Yeah. Um, it flies when you're having fun. I know, man. I'll tell you what. Um, that's why I love this podcasting. <laughs> Roger Sheik, also out of New Mexico, says, uh, is Tesla designing a chassis for NASCAR, and is Tesla going to debut in 2018? Uh, not for NASCAR. I don't think there's any any form. The problem is, is you, with the way the rules are, you can't actually combine the two vehicles because how do you how do you maintain cubic inches when there are no cubic inches, you know, that type of thing like that. And the other downside to racing is it only takes less than eight seconds or 10 seconds to put fuel in a car. You know, we have to supercharge these cars that takes time. Oh, yeah. So you're not going to have sense. that type of a, yeah. a racing, you know, back to back. You won't be able to compare the two cars, but this, um, this model, like I said, this model three that we've been working on, they've sold a half a million or something, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and um, when these cars get out and people start driving them and they let their buddies drive them, I think our sales are going to go just well, straight up. Just right there, a half a million cars. I mean, that's an immediate, ec- uh, not economic, but uh, no, it is environmental they, impact. Right, immediate. Yeah, wow. they, we have a we have a um, a board in our in a uh, we walk in the showroom at uh, at Tesla and there's a great big TV screen on the wall and it talks about how many tons of of car on what we're saving in carbon just and watch those numbers just roll is amazing because the more vehicles we sell that's the more vehicles that are no longer not being sold right right and so you're you're saving it's just it's amazing how much um of an impact this has made and i think you're you're starting to see the auto industry perk up because at first they like this is like just a you know this is a novel like a novel this is kind of a yeah, joke whatever. and then now you've got guys i mean chevy's got two cars out and like i said by i think in three or four years they're going to have 20 vehicles that yeah. are supposed to be electric so that's got to be fun to be a part yeah, of that man they made them take notice and, yeah and that's what it's going to take yeah that's awesome all right i got two more for you uh bozadar ruzanov he's from sofia bulgaria um, he says, D- does he think that in the next 10 years, the battery capacity will be extended to give you a thousand kilometers or maybe even more? I would think, yeah. I, I would have to think that, you know, we're not tapped out on what the batteries are. You know, yeah. if there's, I think we're going to come across different combinations of, of 
batteries that are going to be able to put out power and that's just up to the engineers obviously it's way over my head yeah um, but there's there's nothing but room for improvement right absolutely i yeah. mean you, you they may come across the next thing and and all of a sudden you can produce a battery that charges quicker and is half the weight you know and, and lasts three sudden, times as long right that's and then amazing. that's gonna carry all that mileage over because right now our limiting factors are one the batteries are kind of heavy so you know that takes away from range the right. heavier your vehicle is, the, the more energy it takes to move it. So obviously, if you can lighten it up and yeah, and uh, make it even if you lighten the vehicle up with the same charge, you would get you would go further. Okay, uh, and this is the last one. This is from Burdette Marquis, who is in Grand Junction, Colorado, um, also known as my stepmom. <laughs> can you bungee cord the front fender after you've hit a deer? Oh man, <laughs> we won't even we won't even quantify that for <laughs> with an answer. Um, man, it's been really wonderful sitting here and talking to you. I've learned a ton about uh, racing, and 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 I think it's absolutely fantastic what you guys are doing at Tesla. And and I'm I mean we just met, yeah. but I'm super happy for you that that uh, the chance you took to come out here is paying off, and and uh, I hope it continues to for a long long time, man. I appreciate it. It's uh I've had a blessed career, and and. People say, well, how do you just walk away after, you know, that long? And I think it's like anything. It's sometimes mm -hmm. just you got to change things up. And, yeah. And um, I'm very fortunate that the direction that it went through the experience that I had in racing, um, I made kind of a name for myself. So I was able to take up something else and, and it's worked out. Well, I mean, and that, that time that you spent doing that seems like it was a great investment for giving you the opportunity you have here. So congratulations on that, man. I think that's awesome. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us on the road show. Um, and you guys make sure you check out Tesla.com. They've Absolutely. got cars for sale. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like ordering a pizza. That's right. So, and so everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the Juhu road show. Check out Tesla.com. You can check out, uh, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at the Juhu road show or follow me at uh, the Justin hunt. So thank you every uh, for joining us. Um, thanks again to Pierre and uh, Lance is going to take us out of here. Lance lay it down, buddy. Mm -hmm.